Hello church, I pray that you're doing well in God's grace and in God's love. Please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. We'll be closing out Missions Month today, and we have been in a sermon series called The Sending Church. And we've been looking into scripture regarding God's mission and how we can live out in God's mission. In part one, we saw how all believers are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be Christ's witnesses. In part two, we looked at how we can stand strong together in prayer for gospel work. And last week in part three, we learned how we are gospel friends on gospel mission with one another and also with our God, who gives us the privilege to serve on his mission. Today we'll be seeing how Ascending Church is also a missions active church. We'll be looking at a church in the city of Antioch in Acts chapter 13. And this is a pivotal chapter in the entire book of Acts because this is when the church intentionally sends out the first gospel workers to reach the lost. So this passage is completely relevant to our church today as we are trying to be faithful on God's mission as well. So let me read Acts chapter 13, 1 through 3 for us. This is the word of God. Now there were in the church in, at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Amen. So as we've been going through Missions Month, there is a question that, I've, uh, that I believe that we all should be asking ourselves. And the question is this. What is the most significant way that you can personally participate in God's mission? What is the most significant way that you can personally participate in God's mission? Is it praying for world missions and missionaries? Is it studying and learning about the history of missions as well as the ongoing missions work around the world? Is it giving financially to cover the cost of missions work? Or is it learning a new language so that you can share the gospel in a foreign country? Well, while all these ways are important, I see from Scripture that the most significant way that we can participate in God's mission is actually to be part of a local church. And this is because all these missions driving spiritual activities become highly effective and highly fruitful in God's mission when done together as a church as opposed to being done alone. As we strive together to be living members of the living body of Christ, everything else that we do intentionally for God's mission, whether it's prayer, learning, giving, discipling, sending, etc., etc., will then be in line with how God intends to reach the nations. This is because the church is the vehicle that God uses to save the lost in our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We see this clearly in Scripture, that there are no lone Christians and that there are no lone missionaries. Disciples were always part of a church, and, and then they were sent out to evangelize and then to establish more local churches. These churches would then grow, get healthy, and continue to go out to the lost in the great harvest of souls. In other words, 
To be part of God's mission means to be part of a missions active church. So the one thing for us today is this. Strive together as a missions active church who carries out God's work to the ends of the earth. We'll cover today's text in three parts. Three prominent aspects of a missions active church from Acts chapter 13. And these three aspects that we uh, are three aspects that we as HMCC can be striving toward together in our church. First is diversity that springs up from faithful gospel preaching. Second is worship that strives in faith-filled serving and seeking. And third, partnership that stirs on fellow missions-active living. So, let's get right into first part. Diversity that springs up from faithful gospel preaching. In verse 1, Luke, Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, he directs our attention to Antioch, specifically on how the church is developing. Because before, only Barnabas and Saul were the leaders in this church. Now there are three more leaders added to this leadership team. And together, this team of prophets and teachers had the responsibility to feed the church with God's word. Prophets deliver divine messages from God to his people that are in line with God's word. Teachers instructed, explained, and applied God's word in the regular lives, the daily lives of the members in the church. But the important detail that here that we cannot miss is that we are given the names and some specific background information regarding these three new leaders. So let's take a look. The first new leader is Simeon. Simeon is a common Jewish name, but he also has a Latin name here, Niger, which means black or dark-skinned. So his unique ethnicity seems to be highlighted here. Simeon, therefore, might be Jewish, might be African, or both. He may have been darker-skinned than others than he were, uh, from other, uh, compared to others where he was from. And if he spoke Latin, he probably came from one of the Roman provinces in the northern parts of Africa. Next, Lucius is a common Roman name, and his, his hometown is specified here. He is from Cyrene, which is in northern Africa. And he actually may have been one of the first people who preached the gospel in the city of Antioch. Lastly, Menaean. Menaean is the Greek form of a Jewish name. He has an additional detail here that he is a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Uh, this is actually Herod Antipas, the one that is famously remembered for having John the Baptist beheaded and for mocking Jesus during uh, Jesus' trial before his crucifixion. So, Menaean grew up in the circles of such political authority and influence in society, but he was walking a completely different path in life compared to his friend Herod. Uh, the other two names, Barnabas and Saul, are not given a description, but we can highlight similar types of information uh, about them from the rest of Scripture. And unlike the three men here, Barnabas and Saul were distinctly Jewish. Barnabas was... Uh, <clears throat> Barnabas was a Jew. More specifically, he was a Levite, um, from, oh, which is one of the 12, tri 12 tribes of Israel. And though he was from Cy uh, Cyprus, he was part of the early church in Jerusalem. Saul was like an elite Jew because he was a Pharisee. And being a religious leader of Israel, he had reached peak religious and uh, social status among the Jews. 
before he surrendered it all, uh, when he believed in Jesus Christ. Uh, we also know that Saul was a Roman citizen by birth, which is why he had a common Roman name uh, that, we, uh, that we refer to him by, Paul. So in summary, from the information that we gather about these men, we see that Luke is highlighting the diversity in this leadership team. Just in this leadership team, among these five men, there were layers of diversity, ethnic diversity, cultural diversity, social diversity, different shades of colors and upbringings, and, and which in, inevitably translates to a variance, to a wide variety of values, perspectives, and preferences. So we see that diversity is a key characteristic of a missions active church. What does this mean for our church today as we strive to be missions active? Uh, there's actually a lot to be said about this, but I'll highlight two points of relevance for us. First is that we must be ready and willing to do personal evangelism to anyone, anywhere, and any time. I say this because the diversity at the church in Antioch was a result it was not a strategy. They did not simply try to get a group of people as diverse as they can be and call it church. They did not hold interest-based events in order to target specific demographics and to try to get them to come out to the church. No, what they did was they faithfully preach the gospel. And diversity happened. Back in Acts chapter 11, we read about how the church got started in Antioch. It started with everyday disciples, not uh, church leaders, not apostles or gifted evangelists, just everyday disciples who were fleeing persecution all, uh, and running away from persecution in all directions out of Jerusalem. Some reached Judea and Samaria, and others went further north to Antioch, to this city. Now, those who fled were Jewish believers, and the norm was that they spoke only to other Jews in the new cities that they came to. But there were some who decided, hey, let's try reaching out to my non-Jewish, Greek-speaking neighbor, uh, co-worker, football buddy, etc., etc., because they need to hear about Jesus Christ too. So these everyday disciples were ready and willing to share the gospel to anyone even if it meant crossing ethnic, cultural, and social barriers. They were also ready and willing to share the gospel anywhere in their everyday places of life. And they were ready and willing to share the gospel anytime, even in the season and in the face of persecution. And as the gospel was preached in Antioch, we see that the hand of the Lord was upon these believers and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So it makes sense that in Antioch, the disciples of Jesus Christ were first called Christians. There is such a diverse group of people who declare and demonstrate their love for Christ that they have to be called a new name, Christians. So, brother and sister, be ready and willing to share your faith. Practice having spiritual conversations. Proactively love outside those outside the church who have yet to believe in Jesus Christ and persuade them that this gospel is true and can transform any life. And as we faithfully preach the gospel, we will see God's hand do the work of saving lives and adding people into this church, develop, developing us to be a diverse missions active.
church. Second, this means that we must be ready and willing to practice corporate transculturalism as a body of Christ. Transculturalism is one of our HMCC values. Uh, and we used to talk about it a lot, uh, all the time, as uh, younger churches. But I believe it's appropriate to bring up again now as we go through this text. Transculturalism is to make the decision to go through discomforts and difficulties in order to develop understanding and delight in people from a different culture. Transcultural, transculturalism means to embrace diversity because God embraces the nations. It means to sacrificially love others as Christ shed his own blood to ransom and rescue people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. But I know diversity is hard to embrace. I can tell you from personal ex experience as a Korean American married to a Chinese Indonesian, there have been many incidents in our house of miscommunication and misunderstanding, not only between, uh, yes, between me and my wife, but also as well as with our parents who are more culturally uh, uh, Korean and Chinese. And I'm already confused where Korean values clash with American values. And then trying to explain Korean values as an American to an Indonesian makes it that much more confusing. And if we did not love each other, uh, we would not be able to forgive one another, uh, laugh it off together, and just move on. And that's just between a handful of us. And I know that on one hand, uh, in regards to our church, our church is not that diverse. I know that there are churches where they have 50 plus nations represented in their congregation. But at the same time, I know that we are diverse enough for us to be tempted to form our own comfortable groups, even in a small church of about 100 people. And so what happens if we take diversity on this scale? And then we pack it in to a tangible, confined group of people. We pack it into a church where we interact with one another on a regular basis. Well, there are two natural results when you increase the density of diversity. It's either superficiality or, on the other hand, hostility. Either people just put on a smile from a distance, unwilling to engage with one another. Or people do get real and they end up burning each other with their own personal preferences and judgments of one another. And I know that we have experienced either superficiality or hostility to some degree, even in our church. Which means that many of us are also guilty of responding to our diversity with superficiality or hostility as well. And if we think about it, how can a church possibly be missions active, living on God's mission to love the nations of the world if we're struggling to embrace people different from us within our own church? Well, this is the bad news. The good news is that the diversity in the church at Antioch was a miracle of God. During biblical times, it, is, it was a well-known fact that Jews did not interact with non-Jews to the point of hatred and disgust. They even hated half-Jews 
and they avoided other nations and other people groups. Any interaction will, would be superficial or hostile. You would never ever see a Jew with a non-Jew until Jesus Christ came. Not only did he show us an example of how to cherish diversity, but Jesus made powerful spiritual unity among diverse people possible. He made it possible when he died on the cross. Because when he died on the cross, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, not only did he reconcile a relationship to God, but as Jesus took upon himself our sins and the sins of the world, he reconciled our relationships with one another. He destroyed, scripture says, the dividing wall of hostility between different people. So the gospel of Jesus can destroy any barrier that divides one member from another in our church. The gospel transforms superficiality into sacrificial love and it turns hostility into humble gratitude as we delight in one another, being part of this spiritual family where we are welcomed by God and we're welcomed by one another as friends in Christ. This is why as a church we are one body and our diversity is evidence to the great power of God. And as a missions active church, this is the gospel that we must continue to preach. Yes to others, but also to ourselves and to one another because it's the gospel that is the power of God that saves sinners like us. It breaks down the barriers between our relationship with God and between our relationship with one another. And so a crucial way that we can continue to preach this gospel to ourselves together um, is the next mark of a missions active church, which is worship that strives in faith-filled serving and seeking. Verse 2 here brings us right into one of the church's worship gatherings. And the word worship here is important to note because it's such an interesting word. In Scripture, the original languages actually use several different words that end up being translated as the word worship in English. So people generally think of worship today as singing praises with closed eyes in a dimly lit room, having a just a, a moment with Jesus. But there's a lot more to what worship is. Even here in verse 2, the Greek word means to serve, or to perform a regular or formal service. This is why the word, uh, this is why this word was generally used to descri describe the regular service and work of the priests in the temple of God. So Luke is highlighting here that this church was in regular serving as they were worshiping. With that, the church was also in regular fasting seeking the will of God, and discerning the next steps as a missions active church. And it sounds like these two things are such normal activities in the church at Antioch. And it, it is in this context of regular and general serving where the Holy Spirit instructed how Barnabas and Saul would serve in a unique and specific work outside the church. Now, what does this regular serving and regular seeking mean for our church today as we strive to be missions active? Regular serving 
as a missions active church means that we do not passively wait to serve the Lord until we find something that satisfies our desires. Let's pause for a moment because we really need to get this order down. We see here that regular and general serving is the context in the church where we discover our unique and specific serving outside the church. But we often go about serving the Lord the opposite way. We are tempted not to serve regularly and generally in the church until we know the unique and specific work that God wants to do. And we so easily make excuses to do this. And we often think that our calling is somewhere out there in the world that we need to find. But scripture teaches us that an important part of the calling of our calling is to the church that God places us in and to the church that we covenant with, that we commit to. Back in Ann Arbor, uh, which uh, was the, uh, in HMCC of Ann Arbor, um, I, where I attended as a university student, I used to serve on the worship team. And I was just starting out. So before even stepping a foot on stage, I was responsible for duct taping the music cables um, down to the floor around the room where we would gather for corporate worship. Uh, it's so that people wouldn't, obviously, it's so that people wouldn't be tripping and falling over uh, these wires. And we had a lot of wires and cables. And so I understood the purpose of, of this task, but I still couldn't help but feel it was such an inferior task. I literally needed to get down on my hands and knees, go around the room to tuck, to tape every few centimeters uh, these long cables that, uh, that the worship team used. And I know in that moment that God spoke through, when I was feeling like this, that God spoke through my leader when he said to me this, even though you're just taping down cables, remember you are taping down cables for the Lord. You are preparing this place to be a holy sanctuary where God meets with his people. And I remember just being cut to the heart and feeling so rebuked because it was so true. I thought so highly of myself, thinking that I was too good to be, to be doing such a common task that I thought anyone else could do. Of course, this doesn't mean that we should, uh, be, uh, we should avoid using our unique giftings and talents that God has given us to serve the church. But we have to understand that God trains our hearts in Christ-like humility so that we can best serve God in our special abilities. Our pride comes before the fall, especially in areas that we know we are good and skillful at. All the more, let's look to Jesus Christ. How much has Christ served us? And how humbly Christ has served us. That he would put aside his heavenly throne to come and die for selfish, undeserving sinners like me and like you. And how thankful we ought to be that our humble king was not passive in serving us as he went to the cross. As he willingly bore our sin and our shame, he put it as a crown of thorns on his head, nails in his hands and his feet. So, 
Will you choose to serve God in response to what Christ has done for you? Will you choose to serve God by faith in Christ, serving this church in any way possible with this kind of heart, with this kind of humility? Will you serve even if that exact role uh, or serving does not highlight your skills? Will you choose to cover whatever needs that our church has, knowing that God is making us to be servants like our humble King, Jesus Christ? So all the more, church, let's strive to be servants who would gladly sacrifice our personal desires in order to serve God's desires. And I know God will use such servants for a variety of work He will call us to do in His kingdom. For his glory. We see this more in his next point, where not only regular serving, but regular seeking as a missions active church means that we passionately seek the Lord's will, fully surrender to his desires. Uh, if you're like me, you're not a fan of fasting. And what what I mean, what God produces in me through fasting is great. But the actual practice of fasting is not enjoyable. And so as I'm studying this passage, what stands out for me is is this. And I've been questioning, why is this church fasting at this time? Because the church was developing new leaders. The church was growing in God's word. They were faithfully preaching the gospel and experiencing God's power through their diversity, their unified diversity. In their church. They were worshiping, serving God. They were obeying Jesus' command to be his witnesses in Antioch, in which by comparison seems like it's, uh, comparison to Jerusalem seems like it's at the end of the earth. So everything looks as it should be. What is the point of fasting during this fruitful time, this high time of ministry? Well, ironically, They're fasting because they're hungry. They're fasting because they're hungry. Think about it. They are still hungry for God. They're still hungering for the things of God. And even though their stomachs are empty, their hearts are full as they feast on the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And as they were passionately seeking His will, they were learning to be passionately surrendered to whatever God would ask of them. At this point in time, no one knew exactly in this church what the special work of God was going to be. But it was okay because God had their hearts, their surrendered hearts. By reading the rest of Acts chapter 13 and 14, we know that God wanted the church to be in a posture of surrender for the work of reaching the nations even further out than where they were. They needed to be surrendered because God was calling the church to give up two-fifths of their gifted leaders. But still, they were willing. And God was calling Barnabas and Saul to surrender the comforts of being in Antioch, of leaving their spiritual family that they have been investing all their time and energy in. They would also have to face persecution and suffer for Jesus' name. But in this, they too were willing. They too were surrendered. From my personal experience, it has always been this posture of surrender in which I sense the Holy Spirit speaking to me. Now, His voice is not an audible voice, but it's an inner conviction 
that checks off with God's word as well as with God's people as we pray and fast together. Especially in the key turning points of my life, God put me in this posture of surrender to be able to hear his instructions for me and then help me to step out in faith. Like when I received God's call to come to Indonesia 12 years ago, I didn't know what to expect, but I just had two certainties that I was holding on to. One was that I was saved from my sins by the grace of God. And two, that I would do anything that God would ask of me because I trusted Him with my life. I didn't have any other details worked out. I knew nothing about Indonesia. I knew nothing about cross-cultural ministry. I knew nothing about gospel work um, in foreign places. But God didn't want me to get lost in those details. He wanted my heart. And all that mattered was that I would be willing to give up all of myself to Him. And now I find myself in this posture again as our family and two other members, uh, we are preparing to be set apart for the work of reaching an unreached people group. Uh, That's so near to us. Well, I do have a much better idea now of how to approach God's mission than I did 12 years ago, but I still don't have all the details figured out. But like back then, what is the clearest for me is what I have to surrender. I have to surrender the comforts of living where I am, the comforts of being in this spiritual family. And specifically for us, we enjoy living in Tangerang, in the community and um, the people that we have here. I also have to know, I also know that surrendering will, uh, that going, in going, I have to surrender. We have to take away one-third of our pastoral leadership as we've been trying to grow our elders, uh, our elder team. And I still worry what life will be like in a new city with two young girls, with my language skills not being that great and being foreigners to this people group. But I am encouraged as I've been studying this passage that God desires my heart, my passionately seeking and surrendered heart. This heart is what the Lord desires from each and every single one of us here today. For every person who say, I follow Jesus, He desires this kind of heart of surrender. So by faith in Christ, I pray that we commit as a missions active church to be seeking God's will and to be surrendering to his desires as we're praying and fasting discerning God's will for us uh, as we and then as we hear God's instruction that be willing to do whatever it takes willing to do whatever God is calling us um, to do on his mission and so this last point as we close will clarify how we make this commitment together So a missions active church is marked by diversity, worship, and finally, partnership. Partnership that stirs on fellow missions active living. In verse 3, we need to take note of how they sent off Barnabas and Saul to the specific work that God had called them to do. Uh, We notice right away that this church can't get enough of fasting. After hearing from the Holy Spirit to set apart Barnabas and Saul, the church decides to fast and pray some more. 
But now it's the kind of fasting and praying that is demanding of God, that is taking hold of God. God, are you sure about this? And also asking themselves, are we sure about this? All the more, fasting and praying is not just a means to get answers from the Lord. By fasting and praying, the Antioch church is sending off Barnabas and Saul with complete dependence on God. That's what they're practicing as they're fasting and praying again. And they need to be completely dependent on God because the church's mission is God's mission. God who is so committed to his mission to bring people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. That, 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 uh, that mission that he has been so faithfully working at through all of history to make it happen. No matter how his people disobeyed, no matter how his people disregarded his mission, God presses on to save people for his pleasure and for his glory. God's mission even required him sending Jesus Christ, his son, as a sacrifice for all of our sins so that whoever would believe in Jesus, that person would receive eternal life. Guaranteed. No strings attached. And as much as Barnabas and Saul needed to depend on God, as they went out into the harvest of lost souls, the sending church also needed to learn dependence on God with them. We also see that the church laid their hands on Barnabas and Saul. This was a symbol of their commitment to them. It was a way of saying, Barnabas and Saul, we are with you every step of the way. And so by placing their hands on them, the Antioch church was sending them off with their full support. Back in Acts chapter 11, Barnabas and Saul had invested at least a year committing to this young church in Antioch. They serve this church with their heart. They taught God's word. They shepherded and guided the people of God to remain faithful to Jesus. And now it's crystal clear that this commitment is mutual. Later in, at the end of Acts chapter 14, we get another glimpse of their relationship. Because after all that Barnabas and Saul had done, out there in the harvest field, they returned to Antioch to report all that God had done with them and how the door of faith was truly open to the nations. And we see that the continued see this continued relationship um, throughout in the rest of Acts, because from this point on, the church at Antioch would be the origin for more missions journeys as well as the home base where they would return from those missionary journeys. So what does this sending off gospel workers? with complete dependence, and with, with full support mean for our church today as we strive to be missions active. It simply means gospel partnership. It means being gospel friends on gospel mission together. We understand that not everyone in the Antioch church was called to this specific work to be sent off. It was only Barnabas and Saul who would be traveling from city to city, preaching the gospel in the public spaces and making disciples out there. But it was still a partnership because the rest of the church will also be going somewhere. 
After this worship gathering, after the corporate serving and seeking the Lord, fasting and praying together, what is the rest of the church going to do? They're going to go, they're going to go home to their families. They're going to go to their communities. They're, they'll be going to their corner of the city. And then they'll go to their workplaces and go to their preferred recreational areas. And until the entire city is reached with the gospel, the sending church of Antioch has much work to get done in their city while their sent gospel workers will, ha- will be doing out there. The sending church has much work to be done here as there needs to be work done out there. This is exactly what it means for our church to be missions active. It means every member being an active witness of Christ and an active participant in the work of missions, each directly involved in the sending and going there and here. So let me explain this with this uh, chart that the Mission Support Committee made. There at the ends of the earth is usually where we think about missions work. And yes, a missions active church is committed to sending gospel workers out there to make disciples of all nations. That's true. We send them by supporting them financially and by supporting them in regular prayer. And we send them to go to strategic places where they can effectively reach an unreached people group with the gospel. And while all that's happening out there, this is only half of what a missions active church does. We need to remember that Christ calls us to be, uh, to be witnesses as, and to make disciples of all nations, not only there at the end of the earth, but also in our Jerusalem, where we are right here. This is the other half of missions work of a missions active church. Here, we also make disciples of all nations. And here, we disciple one another in our church to be living on God's mission. And we encourage one another to utilize the power of the Holy Spirit that we have received to be Christ's witnesses. We mobilize one another to faithfully live on God's mission. And we send one another right here in our city whether that's in Tangerang or Jakarta, and then to the rest of the metropolitan area where we work and play. So by sending out the BDH team to go and make disciples out there, our partnership in the gospel will remind us to faithfully make disciples right here in our city. And as our church faithfully makes disciples here, we hope that our faithfulness will encourage those that we have sent out there. This is the dynamics of the gospel partnership that we see throughout the rest of the New Testament between a missions active church and with those that they have sent out to God's mission out there. Church, I know not all of us are going to the same place once we dismiss today's Sunday celebration. But I pray that each one of us, as we go somewhere, that we would go with this missions active mindset, that we would go as faithful and obedient disciples of Jesus Christ, that we would go as Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses of Christ, 
faithfully living on God's mission in making disciples of all nations for His pleasure and for His glory. So how can we do this? Here are some next steps for you to take to apply God's Word today. Four things. First, connect with a member in our church who, uh, with, with whom you might not naturally connect with. So let's live out this Christ-like value of transculturalism. Let's practice uh, embracing our diversity within our church. Brothers, share with a brother who seems different than you. Sisters, connect with a sister who might not enjoy the things that you do. And let's treasure the diversity that, that, we have, that, that has happened in our church because of faithful sharing of the gospel. Second, serve a need that you see in our church that, me, that might be outside your skill set. As you realize how much Christ has humbled himself and how much he has served you, I hope that in response, you, in your worship to God, will humbly serve as you fill a need that you see in our church. Ask around, look, and fill that gap. Third, fast and pray with others to discern how you can participate in God's mission. I believe God has been speaking to many of us uh, on how we can personally be missions active. Not only do I encourage you to share with others in your, in your life group as well as with the pastors, but I also encourage you, not just to share, but I encourage you to invite others to fast and to pray with you. And may we be a church that loves our fellow brother and sister in Christ more than we love our stomachs being full, that we will be willing to pray and fast together. Even though fasting is so hard, together we would seek God's will and learn what it means to be passionately surrendered in our lives for God's mission. And lastly, speak to someone about God or speak to God about that person. You know, if you can speak Indonesian or English, you can pretty much talk to anyone in Indonesia about Jesus Christ. So let's start, or let's passionately continue, having spiritual conversations with others, here in our workplaces, here in our neighborhoods, here with our family and friends who have yet to believe in Jesus Christ, with anyone, anywhere, at any time. And if we are feeling nervous or that person doesn't seem open yet, let's speak to God about that person. Pray asking God for opportunities. Pray asking God for boldness, for love, for wisdom. And let's try again to speak to him or her about Jesus Christ. HMCC, we have come a long way since our churches were planted in Tangerang and Jakarta. Especially in this past few years, I have been so encouraged to see our churches grow and get healthy. And though I won't be that far away uh, in a few weeks, I really do want to stay here with you. A big part of my heart wants to stay here to witness all that God will do in our churches and through our churches to reach our cities with the gospel for God's kingdom. But together as gospel friends on gospel mission, just like how we saw in the book of Acts, I believe we are about to embark on a key moment in God's mission in Indonesia. If only we would continue 
to strive um, to live faithful and obedient as his disciples. And so as we look into the great harvest, we have many places to go and we have a lot of work to do. So again, I encourage you with God's word, let's strive together to be a missions active church who carries out God's work to the ends of the earth. God bless you as you go back now into your live gathering and close out in prayer and worship together.